0: Welcome to the Third City Christian Church podcast. This week's message is Reunion, Part 2, True Love, recorded Sunday, September 19th, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Today I want to expand on the conversation on reunion by talking about first true love, which is is really the topic of the day, but but honestly, it's really the topic of our culture. I mean, for, wouldn't you agree that true love is kind of an American thing that probably came from France or Italy or somewhere out there where people are really romantic or something. And then they said, we need to have this. And then the cinema of America really took this. And it made it the, like the theme of the cinema, right? So for you baby boomers, true love was John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara in the movie The Quiet Man. A uh, lady's fair warning. Have anybody, anybody seen this movie, by the way? Oh, good, nobody. Anyway, I have. And I'm not endorsing it. But, um, but Sean Thornton, a boxer with a dark past, leaves America to retreat to the serenity of the, of the village of his birth in Ireland. He goes back to build a life. And there he meets the, the fiery redhead, Mary Kate Danahar. Now to get Kate's hand, and so she can get her dowry from her, her vulgar brother, he basically has to have a 40 minute fist fight with him throughout the village that they live in. It's really quite a movie. And uh, you know, in between they hit, they take shots and, and the priest is taking shots and, and they're all betting and you know, and, and anyway, it gets to the point to where he wins the fight. He drags Mary Kay off literally to their quaint Irish cottage. And uh, it's one of Dan Walter's favorites, so that's all I have to say. Just if you want to know more about it, he can tell you about it. True love. True love. Now, for many of you Gen Y or Gen Zers, your view of true love might resemble the scenario created in the Twilight Saga. You know what that is? The scenario there is a a clan of blood-sucking vampires inhabit a tiny little village called Forks, uh, Washington, a community where there's also a warring pack of of werewolves, so that makes it interesting. They're immortal enemies with the vampires. But this isn't just your run-of-the-mill vampire. This is a vegan vampire. So they only drink blood of non-humans. So Bella, the recent teenage newcomer to the town, She falls for Edward, the shiny boy with strange eyes who acts like like he's 300 years old, because he is 300 years old. Will true love prevail? That's the question. We're told it's magical. We're told that true love is, is something that gets activated. Now, by the way, there is something that gets activated with love. Romance is a real thing. There are chemical changes that occur in a person's physical body when they fall in love, it happens, it's real. Uh, it's scientifically proven. And so what happens is, things start to change. Like the boy actually starts caring about how he smells when he meets her. And makes that's kind of a self-conscious thing. And uh, when his buddies go, wanna go out, they say, hey, come on, man. And he goes, uh, I'm going out with Nicole. And uh, what are you doing? Uh, We're going to the Twilight Film Festival. She wants to go to that. So in the meantime, Nicole, who could care less about football, asks her new BFF Siri to tell her all about Mahomes, who her boyfriend apparently has a man crush on. She needs to know more about him. True love, true love. Last week, I referenced in Mark chapter 10, some of the things that Jesus had to address with people in his day, the day he walked on the earth, about, about marriage. And I want to give you a little bit of indication of what led into this. Some of his adversaries, they, they were called Pharisees, they were challenging him on several topics that they thought if he spoke on them, it would create a rift Between him and the people who were following him. And there were thousands of them coming his way. They were really worried about their religion and the the future of it. And so they threw this provocative question at him in in a crowd. Teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They were provoking him. Now, our brilliant Jesus answers by giving them a question of his own. What did Moses command you? Now, in those days, just like in ours, there were various interpretations on divorce. And so there was a very liberal interpretation and a very conservative one, just like in our day. In the Hebrew scriptures in Deuteronomy 4, Moses said some things to their ancient forefathers about it. And then over the centuries, these views rose up And one of the views from the conservative side is divorce is never or very seldom if ever permitted except for the man to make that decision. That was their decision. That was their their view of it. Then there was this very liberal view of it, which said, no, a man can divorce his wife for virtually any reason. But ladies, you're out. You don't get to make that choice. So there were two opposing interpretations. They tried to pull Jesus into this controversy. They wanted to divide him from his followers and they could do it with this topic they believed. He didn't take the bait. He didn't pick a side. He didn't argue about what the conservatives thought and what the liberals thought and who was right and who was wrong. Instead what he did so brilliantly for them and for you and me is he went to the heart of the issue. And in essence, he just said this Look, this isn't what God wanted for any of you. It's because, you know, your marriage is, it's because your heart has become hard that this is even brought up. Now, the question that I have for you and for me is Has your heart become hard? Has your heart become hard? Now, you might be sitting here next to your spouse. And now, like inside, you're like seething right now. You're like, oh, if you only knew what I'm feeling right now. If you only knew how painful my marriage is or how personally painful I'm feeling because of a past marriage that wrecked me. Whatever your circumstance is. If you only knew how lonely I am and how much I long for a relationship in marriage, but I can't have it our hearts become hard. And whatever you think true love might be, Jesus is saying, I'm pretty sure it's not what you think it is. Now the other thing that Jesus does with both the liberals and the conservatives is he points to them to the original intention for marriage. And this is crucial. Verse six, chapter 10. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So he starts out at the very start, a man and a woman. Here's where God wanted it all to start and how he wanted it to look. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, will be united with his wife. The two will become one flesh. They're no longer two. They're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one ever separate. So he describes marriage as a union between a man and a woman becoming one for the rest of their lives. From different backgrounds, different upbringings, different goals, different opportunities, coming together to make one. Now let me ask you, what are some of the things that divide us rather than unite us? Remember last week I talked about how when you walk down the aisle, there's this wheelbarrow full of bricks and that's a metaphor for the stuff we bring into the most re- important relationships in our lives, and, and especially into marriage. And you didn't really know you had the bricks, or if you did, you could just kind of hide them from each other. But what can happen is, over time, is when we're married and we actually get to know someone, these tend to come up and they tend to plant themselves in our relationship, we plant them actually, and then they become a barrier to intimacy. And, and what are some of the common bricks that that create this wall of division. And by the way, I have to stop right here cuz I think some of you like you might have this idea that preacher man he's got it going on like that guy knows all this stuff. He must have the best marriage ever and you know they never fight and they never Look, I've had a tough week. Because any time we start talking about this stuff and I'm talking about this stuff with my, my beautiful wife and she's talking to me about stuff, it becomes real. And so realize that I'm not speaking to you as an expert, but as a sojourner with you. Okay? We are on this path. And so, anyway, what are some of the bricks that make up a wall of division? Here's one: unrealistic expectations. I mean, there's actually a lot of these. Uh, I, 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 I thought about this, this this week, and I don't know if this makes sense to you. But but we come into this, this marriage that we have with these. Weird expectations. And what happens is it's kind of like you're like a NASCAR in a NASCAR race. And so think about it. Any NASCAR fans out here just checking? Oh, three, okay, good. Anyway, not me either. Um, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding, I, I, I don't like it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, But I, I think it can be like NASCAR. So like it's like there's this practice lap or this lap before the race that's really cool like everybody gets out of the track and they're in straight lines and they're revving up their engines and the crowd's going crazy and everyone's just saying, oh this is great and then the flag drops and all Denny Hamlin breaks loose and that safe fun practice lap becomes chaos crazy crashes fire speed Passing, whatever else happens in NASCAR behind the scenes, all kinds of stuff. That is true with marriage. The idealism of that practice lap gets swallowed up in the real of the race. And it's crazy. And, and you know it 's true with marriage, it just is, and so one other thing is the things we have to deal with are these unrealistic expectations and, and here 's a few of them i 'm just going to throw them out pretty quickly. One is an unrealistic expectation is being in love means I should always feel like i 'm in love and so sometimes when i 'm in premarital counseling i 'll ask a question like this 'll i 'll say to 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 the young lady, I'll say, now how do you know that you're in love with Billy T sitting there? And Vanda blushes and she says, cause whenever I'm around him, I feel butterflies in my stomach or something like that. And that's where the wiser Scott would subtly say, do you know what the life expectancy is of a butterfly? (laughs) It is nine to 12 months that's going away. And you got to be ready for that. Research shows that about 70% of the problems that exist in marriages are non-solvable. So that leads to the second expectations. When we're in love, it means we won't have any problems. No, you're going to have some problems. And, and what's going to happen is that those problems will continually come up like kind of like a groundhog day scenario. Like it seems like it's not just that you argue about stuff if you've been married for a while. You build up these bricks over the years, these issues, and, and they kind of get suppressed for a while. This could be interesting. But, but then when you start arguing about the newest one, it starts to cycle back to the other ones. And you can't just deal with this one because you're going back to two years ago, five years ago. You said this on our honeymoon. You know what I'm saying? And, and we don't have an ability to to just deal with the issues at hand because because it means that we we won't have problems. And so if we do have problems, we just get frustrated and then we have so many problems that we don't try. Dr. John Gannon, who did some research on this, he said 70% of the problems that exist in marriages are non-solvable. Let me say it again about 69%, that's really the the number, 69% of the problems that we have in marriage are not solvable. So what does that mean? That means that we need to understand that and work forward together. And sometimes it just means I'm gonna agree that I don't agree with you on that and we're gonna love each other through it anyway. Now here's another thing, here's another expectation that's really faulty It's my spouse's job to make me happy. That's a fantasy. That true love is when someone makes me happy. Or here's an even, that's the cousin, but it's even more difficult. It's your job to make me happy. Now, let me just help you understand that for a minute. If you owe someone happiness, how does that make you feel? That makes you feel like you are a slave to them, like you in, you're indebted to them, like, like you are burdened or trapped or enslaved. And then it turns out to this transactional relationship, well, here's what you owe me, and here's what I owe you, and then if you don't give me what I want, you know what I'm saying? That's what happens. And so I heard somebody say this this week that might possibly be the most romantic Valentine's Day's card you could ever give someone. Here's what it would say. They would open it up and they would say, It would say, You don't owe me anything. I mean, would that change your relationship if you just had this mindset about your spouse? You really don't owe me anything. I think maybe that's how Jesus approaches us. I mean, He did everything for us so that we wouldn't have to owe Him anything. So if your approach in marriage is the attitude here's what you're supposed to do it's going to be a challenging marriage for you. Here's another one. Uh, this, is, this goes to a different level. It's underestimated differences. Because truly, one of the reasons that I'm attracted to my wife and she's attracted to me is because we are different. And those differences come from my personality and hers. They come from our family of origin, previous life challenges and lessons and successes and failures that we've had, let's do a little test here and you're gonna be, be the sample group, okay? So please help me out. It's really hard for the preacher to do things like this and you don't respond, so please respond to this, okay? I want you to raise your hand if something applies to you. How many of you are fairly highly structured and organized? Just raise your hand. About half of you. Now you know where this is going, right? How many of you are a little bit more spontaneous and free-flowing? How many of you? Oh, about half of you. That's interesting. How'd you get married? I just wanna know, why did you marry? There's a reason, right? Okay, here's another question. Uh, how many of you is a, what you would call a night person? And how many of you would call yourself, no, a morning person? Well, the havesies are working out today, all right. How many of you are more outgoing, or tend to be, and how many of you are a little less outgoing, more, you see, I knew you wouldn't answer. (laughs) It just wasn't gonna happen. When dating, we tend to underestimate those differences, or we love them about that person. Like Jackie and I, we came from two different kinds of families. Jackie's family, she was kind of like an only child, uh, she had, has an older brother, but, but he was out of the home pretty much by the time she was in the home. So she was kind of like an older child, uh, older child, or only child. And anyway, so I go to her house for like holidays. I loved it. It was so quiet, so peaceful. That was great. Now, my family, much bigger, more vibrant as a matter of fact, like, like I'd be sitting at the table as a kid, and, and, and somebody, my, my, my dad or mom would say, hey, you, pass the potatoes. I mean, you know, they didn't know my name half the time. But, or they don't, uh, they, that's not true. But I loved being around Jackson, but she liked being around my family, because it was like chaotic and wild, like there was a bunch of vampires coming together for, for something. You know, it's a crazy, crazy town. She liked the excitement of that. Now, that stuff also becomes exaggerated in your relationship. Because the things you bring can sometimes crop up too. Tim Keller says marriage has a way of introducing you to yourself. And that is true. That is true. There's a whole lot of things I learned after I married Jackie. Some of them were good. I can be responsible. I I can love someone else more than myself. Uh, I can uh, be able to to fix stuff that that need to be fixed because I can't afford to call someone else to do it. And, and she's relying on me to do that. You know, I, that, that's stuff I learned about myself. I can be forgiving. But I also learned some other things that oftentimes crop up. I can be insensitive, I can be moody. I can be, I gotta be careful, this might topple over on you. I can be selfish. God's helping me take these off. I just got worried. That'd be bad for you. I hope you can catch bricks. <laughs> be ready. Then there's unmet needs. And marriage should meet needs. But there's some things that marriage are never meant to meet. Not some needs. Uh, it's kind of like a, a story that, uh, that uh, Willard Harley tells in his book called His Needs, Her Needs. It's a good book. And he says, imagine you got a bottle of water on the table and you're a little too far from it. So you say to your wife, hey, can you pass me that bottle of water? And she says, well, I'm busy right now, but if, if you ask me tomorrow, I'll give you that. Okay, so tomorrow comes and you're still thirsty, maybe a little more thirsty. And you say, I don't know why you haven't moved off the couch, but you haven't. Honey, can you, can you hand me that bottle of water now? And she says, well... Uh, I know yesterday you asked me for that, but today like I'm really busy, like there's no way I can get around to that. If you ask me tomorrow, so now the third day comes and you are thirsty and very frustrated and you say, I've been asking you for days, can you give me that water? And then she says, well, if you're gonna have that kind of attitude, you can just get it yourself. (laughs) That is what happens. We, 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 We have opportunities to help each other and that can go both ways, you know that. But then something happens and we just wait for the other person to do something for us that they really don't have to do. I can do that myself, or I can rely on another source for that. And these needs become unmet, and then we make them barriers to relationship. Here's another thing, unresolved anger. Hebrews 12:14 talks about this. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Listen to this, that you don't fall short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile, not just you, but many. Because anger is like a bitter root. It will take root and it will take over. If you're married and you're angry, that anger, if not dealt with, will ruin your life. That's what he's trying to show us. Unresolved anger, bitterness. And that can lead to an unsafe environment. You might be married to a person that you thought was gonna be your protector, but instead they became a predator. And if you're in a marriage where you're experiencing abuse, you please hear me out. You do not deserve what they're doing to you. But it's not your job to fix them either. It's not your job. Uh, turn them over to God. I know, sadly, from ministry, that there are men who will use the Bible to manipulate their spouse by controlling and using physical abuse to get what they want. We know that happens. Many of you have probably endured that. You are demanded to submit to me, the man will say, because he reads parts of the Bible that he likes to read. He forgets to read the verse before it, where it says, submit to, what? One another. One another out of reverence for Christ. And so look, I wanna say this, if you're a man who, who is abusing your wife, your children, you need to know this, you are lived, living on borrowed time, your only hope is to fall on your knees before the Almighty God and repent and stop, or you will deal with that for the rest of your eternity. You need to know that an unsafe environment. And by the way, women can be abusive too. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of study going on right now about the abuse that happens in marriage. And the percentages are about 50-50, just so you know. Now here's another thing. The uncut umbilical cord. I addressed this last week. It's hard to have unity when you have an uncut umbilical cord. Uh, we talked about how leave means to leave the home of your parents and to cleave means to unite with your husband and wife. You pursue each other for a lifetime and everything else falls into place behind that. Your parents, your children, in the hierarchy pyramid, it's God, you and your spouse. Everything else falls below that. And so you're married and your son and daughter calls you or son or daughter calls you and they say, we're having problems, mom. We're having trouble, dad. I thought I'd come home for a while. And what's the wisest thing you as a parent can say to them on that phone call? You might want to write this down on a little tag and put it on your refrigerator, okay? You say, oh, you are home, sweetie. And then you love them through it, whatever it means. You gotta cut the cord. Leave and cleave. And here's another thing that can keep us from being fully relational with our spouse and with others. Unrelenting criticism, Proverbs 27. A quarrelsome wife and/or husband, parent, child, coworker is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her, him, is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand because you cannot have the kind of intimacy that God created you for. If you are chronically critical, you won't have it. Here's the last one I want to mention and then I want to come back after communion and tie this up. So hang with me unrepentant sin this is a big one you have something in your life that you're not giving over to God you haven't got past you don't think it's affecting you you don't think it's affecting your relationships but you are dead wrong and you think as long as I keep these secrets in the dark and I hide them away it's going to be okay I promise you it is not I promise you that it's keeping you from true love because it's a falsehood that is separating you not only from your spouse, but from your maker, your God. You ask, why aren't I happy? How come we're not as happy as we could be? Why is it that God isn't answering my prayers? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so lonely? Why am I so reliant on my counselor? If you have unconfessed, unrepented sin, it is the brick or the barrier builder that will keep you from everyone. And that's something you can do something about because that's something God has done something about for you. We're going to enter into our time of communing. We call it the Lord's Supper. It's an optimal time of self-examination. And the key thing that you got to put on the table with God is you got to look at and say, God, Is there someone in my life that I need you to help me take that away? I need to forgive them. I need to forgive them so that I can move forward and be the kind of person you need me to be. Lord, we're communing with you. The one who is perfect at forgiveness. And your example for us. Thank you for forgiving me as I forgive those who have sinned against or trespassed against me. Amen. Do I seem nervous today? Do I seem nervous to you? Oh, I am. Like I've got butterflies. All weekend I've had butterflies. Because I know I was going to stand up in front of you and talk about the stuff on marriage. And know that in my own marriage, there's a lot of this going on. Now, I love my wife. I'll love her till the day I die. We're going to be together till the day I die, at least. I think she'd say the same thing to you. I know she would. But it's not easy. But it's good. It's great. Because God's in it. And, you know, I was thinking about this even just. Backstage, coming back out. This is different than what I was going to say. How do you know that it's true love? You know that you're going to keep doing this. Day after day. Uh-oh. Day after day. That's God for us. That's what he calls us to. In the beginning, he created them male and female. He brought them together. And then for the rest of our lives, he shows us that. I don't know what you're going to do this week with this message. I know one thing. You can't do this. I'm going to work on her bricks. I'm going to get him to see his bricks. That's not what God calls us to. God says, you look at yourself and you say, what are you doing? What do you need to do about it? That's what you do. That's what I want to encourage you to. Now, I want to give you one assignment too. And this might seem very intimidating to some of you. I want to encourage you to every day to take a time and pray with your spouse. Just set aside a few minutes. I'm not talking about a long period of time and I'm not talking about supper time, but just say, we're gonna pray together and I'm not gonna point out any of your flaws and please don't point out any of mine, but I'm just gonna thank God that you're in my life and I'm gonna ask God to help me be the best I can be for you. That kind of prayer, every day. I, I don't know where I read this, I believe it though, because I've seen it in people's lives. They say that, that, they say that uh, Christians, couples, they pray together, about 8% of them pray together every day. Now, here's what they also say. Those couples, the divorce rate, 1 in 10,000. Now, those rates aren't working otherwise. Why not try this? Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10:15, or 11, 30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10:15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.